Starlight Express answered me, yes, I don't want you to go. Starlight Express is the magical train force. It's kind of like a god to the trains who are motors, who are roller skating around this train. Then we should actually just talk about the musical Starlight Express. We already are. <laughs> Good podcast. Good podcast beginning. What the hey? It's it's very intelligent podcast. It's Liz Shannon Miller at Lizzle on the Twitters. It's Ben Travers. It's Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And sorry about the... We had to have a brief digression about Starlight Express, but uh, welcome. It's a, it's IndieWire's uh, favorite podcast of if you want to listen to two people talk about TV. Liz, I feel like a lot of the time when we record, it's a Friday afternoon, and we, we mentioned something about the fact that the week has taken a toll on us. And uh, we're a little tired. Please bear with us. We'll see where this goes. We don't have that excuse today. It's Tuesday. It is Tuesday. Um, we should have done. We should have done Thirty Rock bit. Which Thirty Rock bit? The one where it's uh, it's like what a week. Yeah. Lemon. It's Tuesday. Tuesday. Is it is it Tuesday or Wednesday? The I original know. quote. Probably, I, I think, like to pretend it's Tuesday because it's earlier. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday is probably the better version of the joke. So that's probably what it is. Um, but it is, however, Comic Con Eve, um, and I feel like that's taken its toll. Um, oh yeah, the 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 planning has become its own part of the process at this stage. Like just trying to make sure you're organized and set, right? And then things keep popping up has become the stress that usually for me is only associated with actually doing it. Yeah, I feel like once we actually are in San Diego and like getting you know going from place to place, like the planning will have been worth it. But right now it's like. Our calendars look like train wrecks. Yeah, and I don't like that, Liz. No. When when I'm unorganized, I feel terrible. 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 <laughs> so, gotta get that shit in gear. Yeah, we do, but you know what isn't helping matters is these freaking networks and their freaking surprise releases. That's really? right. I said freaking. I'm slamming down the curse words. It's, it's justified, Liz. These surprise releases make it so hard to plan anything. Uh, you know, it really throws off really throws off my personal schedule. How dare they? Yes. But we're just within the last week or so, we had kind of two notable examples of this. Notable in that they were interesting for us as people who try to keep up with all the biggest television events happening. Not so notable, I think, to you casual viewers out there who probably didn't really register, who, for whom these things probably didn't register. Um, at least we know that's for a fact based on the ratings for uh, Showtime's newest political comedy, Who is America? Well, we know it for a fact as much as we can know any ratings for a fact these days. <laughs> There's yes. no, no VOD numbers, no streaming numbers. Um, Showtime is pulling a Twin Peaks, which means they're, you know, they have very low ratings. They have, what, 375,000 people, something like that. It was and like then, 70th on the night. Yeah. Wow. Um which is, again, similar to what kind of Twin Peaks pulled, but they're pointing to the fact that they had a record-setting subscriber growth, and that's really what matters to them at this point anyway. Um, frankly, the way that this show is designed, the free PR they got out of the surprise release seems to be a best-case scenario, at least in my mind, uh, in terms of, of what they could have gotten out of it, so I don't feel like the surprise release hurt their numbers. Um, and at the same time, we don't really know what those numbers are, and the same applies to our other surprise release uh, which I don't think they've said anything about it yet, right? I haven't uh, about what, how it's performed. Yeah, like but they don't say anything. It's yeah, but Hulu likes to release little things about their shows, uh, whether it's like a demographic or whether it's a, um, 
it got this level of attention or this level of attention in this mysterious way. Like they always send us something about handmaids. They always send us something about whatever they feel good about a show. Yeah. Handmaids news usually comes tied to like some other press announcement they're making. But yes, uh, point is uh, Hulu picked up, it has always had the exclusive uh, streaming rights to uh, the lifetime series unreal. But for whatever reason, um, they just kind of decided to skip the middleman and only just a few months after season three of Unreal finished airing on Lifetime, uh, Hulu decided to, Hulu and I guess A&E made a deal where uh, Hulu would be taking the, Hulu would just flat out drop the entire fourth season um, on, uh, entire fourth season this Monday, which is A, a weird day to release any sort of programming. Um, Even... Um, and even when, if you give you know critics and so forth a little bit of warning, uh, which we barely did, um, and yeah, it's again all, all these weird, weird choices. Um, so we've already talked a fair amount about who is America. We talked about it in last week's podcast. Um, so we don't need to go over the details of of that show and what it was about and what it did or didn't do well. Um, but we wanted to kind of talk about in well, general. I am curious about Unreal, though, like just in in kind of big picture form, Liz. Um, A, you know, this was the final season. So um, that was kind of momentous unto itself. The fact that it was shifting off of Lifetime, which showed it with ads versus something that's streaming, which, I mean, Hulu has ads, but only, like, depending on your tier. Yeah, and you still, yeah. And, and, you know, for the first, like, a lot of people save up Unreal anyway, or they save up shows so they can binge them as they like. But this one actually allowed you to do it. Hulu also doesn't always release stuff all at once. They release stuff weekly. And this one they did. They put it all out there at once. So how did it play for you? Um, well, watching it all in a pretty concise chunk of time, um, I think essentially to I, I feel like I feel like I don't I don't know exactly. You know, it's one of these. This is one of those shows where reviewing it is going to basically involve me figuring out how I feel about it. Um, I will say that I think essentially I'm not going to call it a one-trick pony, but I think the things that made it so interesting and revolutionary in, to a degree in its first season have gotten played out, and it didn't really ever find a new... It didn't... It tried new things, and it did try something brand new in this last season, uh, but it it definitely was one of those situations where I was watching the fourth season being like, yeah, this is a good... It, it is good that this is the final season. Like, I feel like, you know... To push this any further would be kind of to really, you know, take the try to like tarnish the tarnish the rose. That's not a thing, um, but it it would have declined. It would have con- continued to draw, you know, draw down the the, sh- the show's quality. Like if I was going to rank the seasons, it would probably be it would probably be one one three four two. Um, because two had just so many like train wreck pl- plot decisions, um, whereas and three I thought had good elements to it, but one was just so concise and tight, and I feel like that it, I I don't think the show ever really hit its own new re- hit new heights. Well, I think that was one of the interesting things to me about Hulu picking up that fourth season was that a lot of people what they said about the first season was that it's a you know it's a pretty propulsive watch. It's something that's easy to binge if you had the opportunity to do so. But it was also something that kind of demanded weekly viewership. Um, if you were, you know, worried about the twist being spoiled, 
there's a lot of stuff happening throughout season one that you you know have to avoid if you were saving it up. So the idea of it actually premiering on a streaming service instead as a binge instead of something that was released weekly, you know, it could affect how it was being perceived. And then the other side of the coin is just, you know, this is a, it's like you said, it's a Monday release. It's something that came out of nowhere. Nobody was prepared for it. It's very soon after the third season ended. So people have kind of forgotten about Unreal or were ready to kind of wait until the next cycle came back around. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, I feel like there's a lot of things that could be studied with this release in terms of just how it feels and what it does for the show. But I guess my biggest question is, does it feel like when a network starts airing, you know, back-to-back episodes of a show on a Saturday right before it gets canceled? Are they burning off these episodes or are they giving them a platform that actually gives more people an opportunity to see it and enjoy it the way it should be, the best way it could be enjoyed? Well, I will say this, is that honestly, <clears throat> honestly, the, the, the thing is about the season, they shot it back in like, they were shooting it back in January. Like they they hadn't even released season three before they started releasing uh, it was season season three while they were shooting season four. Yeah, they delayed season three. I don't remember what the reason they gave at the time, but they initially announced it was coming out at a certain time that they said no. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think we maybe talked about it being maybe an Emmys play, like trying to get it more in the cycle. Um, cause yeah. like, I think season two premiered in like a June window, right? Or I could be wrong. Yeah, no, the, the original premiered in the summer because the first season was eligible like later on. Uh, I'll look up the dates, but yeah. Oh, was that true? Yeah. Yeah, please do. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I feel like if it, honestly, the, the thing is like having it come out kind of close to the season, to, to season three, I think works. I don't feel like, it, you know, you talked about it, what? Yeah, sorry. The the first season premiered literally on June first, so the right. day after voting closed, so it wasn't eligible. June first, twenty fifteen. But it so didn't it get nominated. No, it it did get nominated. It just but it wasn't eligible until yeah. the, the twenty sixteen cycle. Um and then yeah, season two followed the same format because when you have a June release like that and the previous season is eligible, you want to try to build buzz for that with the new season, which is something that Orange is the New Black did very well for on Netflix. Uh, and then, yeah, season three was delayed until February 26, 2018, because at the time we thought it was, you know, both an Emmy's play and also a way to try to distance themselves from season two because it had just been such a catastrophe. Like most people really didn't like season two. Right. Um, so then, you know, they wanted to try to reset for a minute. And that was, you know, part of the delay. But now it could be a lot of different factors. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it'd be. I feel like there's there probably are even a couple of reviews out there that say as much. But I think also there's a nice factor in Hulu's kind of in, like, they've got Castle Rock about to come out, um, but this is kind of a, oh, they have kind of an interesting lull happening right now between Handmaid's Tale ending and, and that, and also casual dropping soon. So this a is lot an, of their, a lot of their broadcast stuff that people use the service to watch, you know, that's ended too. Right. So it's, it actually, you know, the timing is good. Uh, they put a lot of support. They put some, at least some support behind it. They did a cute thing um, on Twitter. I think it was maybe last, I guess it was last night because that's when The Bachelorette airs, where they had, quote unquote, Quinn and Rachel live tweeting The Bachelorette mm. and offering their expert commentary. Um, so I don't know who wrote those, but those tweets, but that was still fun. That was a fun idea. Was that through the Hulu account or through their... Yeah, the Hulu took, they, they, Quinn and Rachel took over the Hulu account. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting play in terms of the business model aspects of it because, you know, what is, you know, 
how how is that how how does that affect lifetime how does that affect a and e studios you know how are you know how are the profits getting mixed up who gave who who paid whom um but yeah, it does, I don't know if we'll ever be able to judge it yeah. as a successful business transaction or not. That might be beyond us. But it does have. It, it, I will say it also does have the feel of dumping. Like frankly, yeah. like it does. It does feel like it does. It does not feel like the full proper rollout that a show that did get an Emmy nomination for a Lifetime in its first season. A couple. A couple more than. Yeah, it got Zimmer. It got. Oh, uh, that's right. It got writing is the one I remember. Yeah, it got. I mean, it got a few. So yeah, I mean, it's 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 not like the the ideal farewell farewell that the show should have had. Um, I don't think, but also I don't know if the show in its it, with that final season maybe needed. How many episodes were in the final season? Eight. Yeah, shorter than normal too. Yeah, I believe eight. Feels like I watched eight. Um, so yeah, I mean. But I think in, in general, in talking about surprise releases, you know, I remember the first time I got really cranky about it uh, was when the OA season one premiered and we were basically given a week's notice. Um, and I remember at the time, like, I got very huffy about it and you were like, Liz, just calm down, whatever. It's not a big deal. But, you know, at that point, what we were used to, from especially from streaming networks, was a fair amount of lead time, especially in Netflix uh, at that point was giving us at least a month's notice or the vague awareness of that. And nowadays, nowadays, like we've they've started being like, you know, they'll put release dates under embargo sometimes, but those embargo dates are like two weeks before the show comes out. So in general, there's, and there, in general, there's a lot, there seems to be a lot less emphasis on the lead up to the release of a streaming show um, as opposed to, you know, the aftermath, which to be fair, it does match up with what we've seen in terms of covering these shows. Well, yeah. Let's, I mean, without getting into the traffic part of it on our end, because I don't, I don't think that does anybody any favors. I'd, I'd just say that I would argue that Netflix is getting a lot more precise about what they want to do with their releases. Like that, the embargoes to me always made sense when they were when they were within a week or two of the actual release date. You're talking about the review embargoes. Any they, embargoes. Any embargoes. Um, because you want the coverage geared around the premiere because the whole point of you know Netflix working with the press is to get extra publicity around it when it's going to be coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that they alone have a ton of content spread across you know every week, borderline most days of the week. So they need to make sure that theirs stands out whenever it's dropping. Um so, so like that kind of embargo makes sense to me, but at the same time, as opposed to these surprise releases, they're getting us those screeners well in advance. Mm-hmm. Most of them we're having before, well before we're allowed to talk about having them. Like we're we're being prepared that the, you know the release date is set months in advance. The screeners are given. You know, sometimes I, I mean, there's certain screeners I've gotten months in advance. Like oh, not yeah. necessarily the full season, but enough where you're prepared for. Coverage. I mean, we we've definitely like there was stuff coming out in August that we got in June. Yes. I say. Um, but, but that runs contradictory to me, to the idea of the surprise release, because they're keeping everyone as prepped as they need to be regarding the stuff they're going to get out there. And, you know, obviously they can't really secretly tell a bunch of press people that a surprise release is coming without somebody breaking that. Like, right. There's an embargo that a lot of people respect, but even embargoes get broken by the wrong people. Somebody screws up a date or, or somebody... Um, accidentally hits publish or schedules it on the wrong thing. Like, those things kind of happen, so they can't be trusted to give out the surprise release stuff. 
Um, but I, I argue that the surprise release only really works if you've got Netflix reach. I think the surprise release only seems to be effective when when you don't necessarily need publicity surrounding it as much as some of these other shows do. Like I think Unreal needs all the think pieces. It needs the reviews. It needs people talking about it to help people remember, yeah, this is in the cycle and I want to pay attention to this. And them dumping it, you know... <laughs> Sadly enough, on the same, you know, like a, a couple days after, literally a day after, you know, Who is America comes out as its own version of a surprise release, but it's only in like a week's advance no- notice that this is the show that's hitting on, on Showtime. It got dwarfed in the coverage by that. And, and if the ratings for This is, or Who is America weren't very good, then I would imagine that the ratings for Unreal would be equivalent uh if i mean i'd hope they're better but because it has an established audience and maybe they'll get excited and they'll get on hulu hopefully it drives subscriber growth now that everybody knows all of unreal is on available on hulu so like there's other again business reasons that could help it out but i I don't know if it's like it was sad to me to look at kind of the conversations that were going around online this week Mm -hmm. you know just two days after it came out it feels like people already forgot about it Mm -hmm. no absolutely um and compare that to uh, the way that Sci-Fi handled the uh, final season of Twelve Monkeys, which I think they kind of did something similar for the season beforehand. But technically, what you, you could call what they did is is a, a burn-off. They premiered; it was an eleven-episode season, and they basically ran three episodes a night, and with the season finale two-part series finale two-parter. Um, over the course of four weeks, I think I, I think I'm right on the math there, um, and that's you know a lot of television to ask people to watch all at once. But for some reason, that feels that did make it more feel like more of an event. The fact that it was timed for June, a time when not a lot of people are really digging into ha- have a ton of new shows to keep up with, and the fact that that show had a well-established fan base that could be mobilized about around around that around that you know event style premiere. Like that's, I think that worked pretty effectively. It certainly, certainly the hubbub about it on Twitter got me to catch up with the damn thing finally, um, and enjoy the experience. Uh, so you know, I feel like I feel like there's a way to make to make take a burn off and make it feel like an event in a different way, and maybe even calling it a burn off isn't like the appropriate thing. Yeah, no, it's it's basically just doing whatever you can to counter the narrative that it is that you are burning them off like you know when Halt and Catch Fire's final season came out they were airing to a night on Saturday nights for a while but it, it still gave it you know over a month in the spotlight it gave it over a month of people still talking about it and reminding people this was a great show and reminding people they could catch up on Netflix and AMC, AMC still couldn't you know have the potential of of seeing success the way they did in the past Breaking Bad, where after Breaking Bad premiered, people would watch it on Netflix, then they saw the new season and ratings would build, and that never really worked for Halt. But the potential was there, and the discussions were there. And I think, you know, even though it was ignored at the Emmys again, um, there were at least critics talking about it when the Emmys were coming around, and there were, you know, critics talking about it for the TCAs, and there's people still keeping that conversation alive, whereas if it all dropped on one day... I think Halt's good enough where people would still talk about it, but you wouldn't be able to appreciate kind of the little moments within it. And again, Halt is almost the quintessential opposite of Unreal in terms of the show's structure and and the pacing and kind of what drives you from episode to episode. 
Um, but I just, part of me was just really sad that it seemed like Hulu or Lifetime or whoever kind of made this ultimate decision just threw a dart at the board where they had a bunch of empty space and were like, this will probably work. Let's give it a shot. Right. I, I don't know. The surprise release is obviously something that has to be honed in a certain way. Even even something like Cloverfield when it hit Netflix uh, after the Super Bowl. Right. Which, I mean... Maybe arguably the, it didn't work. The movie didn't work. No, arguably the release didn't work. Most of, any, any of the statistics that anybody could try to glean from how many people watch Cloverfield said not many people watch Cloverfield. Yeah. But at the same time, like going back to your ratings thing, going back to the Showtime uh, Twin Peaks argument, like definitely it felt like Netflix was in the conversation uh, when that happened. But, you know, to be fair, it, to, that goes back, I guess, to your point, though, that if Netflix is really the only network to have that kind of level of clout. Yeah. And um, it's it's something where because it was an established property, I think that's might be less effective than doing it with something new i don't know that's it's an interesting idea like unreal was an established property cloverfield was the sequel of sorts to you know the the franchise that they're slowly weirdly building over there um anything can be a cloverfield movie right and then there's something like the oa uh which is its own weird little entity and who is america which is a docuseries that's very much in the sasha baron cohen brand so you kind of know what you're getting but was still cloaked in mystery I don't know if it need. I, I would think that you'd benefit, especially when you're trying to get subscribers, by having something that people that had an established audience and people were suddenly like, "Oh, I have to get this now." Right. But it's almost like the stuff that's new and just builds buzz on its own uh, might do a little <laughs> bit better. It'd be interesting to see how like a brand, like a, a truly brand new property, would work. I mean, I guess because technically that is what they did with the OA. Right. Um, like that, you know, no one outside of IndieWire readership was aware of who those filmmakers were necessarily. And, you know, as much as we love Jason Isaacs, like he's not a, a marquee star. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like I feel like the OA was actually pretty effective. Like it, it's I feel like it permeated the cultural conversation a lot more than I was expecting it to. Yeah. And I think also timing is important when we're talking about these because the OA hit in December when yeah. people were going to be going on break for a certain amount of time. And perhaps they, they were willing to try something new and experiment with a show and, you know, just see what was possible. Whereas, again, you know, a Monday release in July for Unreal just seems kind of anticlimactic. Um, you know, obviously, you could argue that by releasing it on Monday, they're hoping that people will talk about it enough where once once the weekend gets there, people will remember to watch it then if they don't have time during the week. But it's a weird kind of timing Apparently. plan to me. And, and like even Cloverfield had the Super Bowl backing behind it. Oh, so yeah. it's like if you believe it did well, there's an argument for that. Um, then you've got an event behind it when people are going to be paying attention and sit down and watch it immediately. Um Whereas, you know, Who is America at least had a Sunday release, kind of mm-hmm. Saturday night online even. Like, I don't know. It's the Monday thing's really bothering me all of a sudden. <laughs> well, I want to go have a quick tangent because this, this conversation, this point, this is something you brought up earlier, and it's, it's a little unrelated to what we're currently talking about. But I, I wanted to throw out this theory, which is the reason that Netflix provides screeners so far in advance of its releases, even announced or unannounced, uh, is basically a counter argument to the com- our complaint of you keep giving us too much to watch because they can be like we gave you two months to watch that show you can't you are not allowed to complain about not having enough time to watch it no that's exactly I mean that's why I never complain about getting screeners like whenever they're sending us a lot of them 
it's like, I've got it. Like, I've got it. I, I, it's up to me to look at the schedule and say, this is when the embargo hits or this is when the show's coming out. When do I have time to watch it? Whereas if they send it to you the week of and you're like, well, I've already built my week out. I got to figure out how to squeeze this in. Maybe I don't have time. Then it's kind of on them. So, I, no, I think, again, they're, they're very, very aware. That's why they're giving it to us early, but still giving us that embargo that's so limited closer to the release date like they know what they're they know what they're up against and they know what they're hoping to get from us um but you know not all shows have that luxury it depends on production schedules and Mm -hmm. you know timing like a lot of the a lot of the shows that aren't netflix shows which aren't being released all at once they're still shooting it when it's airing so they don't have time to get it to us that early in advance but yeah God, Ben, I'm so nervous about Better Call Saul this season. Why? Because I think they were, I think they had enough. I feel like uh, I feel like the, the screeners are not show are going to be slow in coming. We have. Oh, the fir- you're worried about seeing it early as opposed to uh, the yeah. quality of it. Okay. Yeah, but well, I'll save that for a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess like if you think about like the last several months do you have like a favorite unconventional release thing a release event that worked for you not your standard weekly jump you know just like something new i mean i i I liked what they did with twin peaks um that was a way that was a while ago but i felt like just like really consistently turning it out week by week after that four episode drop at the beginning well, the, you you said premiere, I think, so I'm I'm focusing on that four episode drop. Sure. Like, and it it was a two and a two, so it was something where, <laughs> you know, if you're a loyal Showtime subscriber and you've just got it linearly, then you are gonna have a two hours of Twin Peaks on Sunday night, and that's exciting. Right. Um, if you wanted to keep going, you could, and that you know was something they'd hope that you'd feel after those first two, which I think a lot of people did. Um, so then, then that was available to you if you wanted to try out this new service that they had. Like if you were gonna, you know, start streaming Showtime instead of just watching it whenever it was on TV, this was your opportunity to learn and and acquire that method. Do you think that was a deliberate part of the strategy? Oh, a thousand percent, absolutely. They're, the whole thing that they were pushing with Twin Peaks was, you know, Showtime anytime. They knew that this was a property that was very cult based, so it was it had a lot of. Um, you know, it had, a, it had a lot of young viewers, and at the same time, it was an established property with an adult audience, so those people would be coming back as well. And they're trying to train as many people as they can to use that streaming service because everybody seems to know that that's the future in one way or another. Um, so I liked that method because it kind of gave you a little bit of both. They still had a premiere for it. They still had um, the weekly rollout, which, again, I'm something I'm obviously a big proponent of if anybody's ever listened to this podcast before. It um, maybe has come up. So yeah, I, I I don't know. I liked the I liked the Twin Peaks release. I'm not a I, so far I'm not a big fan of surprise releases. Not necessarily because it's an inconvenience to us, just because if it is a show worthy of releasing at all, worthy of watching at all, you should be giving it the best possible chance to be seen. And I feel like that usually takes time. Mm-hmm. Fair. What about you? I mean, I already kind of talked about the Twelve Monkeys release. I thought that was a fun. A fun strategy even though i didn't experience it that way i thought it was probably pretty effective for its audience um two that i hate what i've got two that i hate do you want to say i don't know if you were done yeah i feel like i talked about my 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 preferences already what are two that you hate i hated i hated 
uh, Arrest Development and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt releases. Because they were so close together? No, I hated that they released half seasons. Um, that is lame. As someone who is a, as a proponent of weekly watching, <laughs> this might seem uh, you know, counterintuitive to my point, but I feel like both of those seasons are designed as seasons, and I don't think it was something that was planned in production mm. for them to release it at the time they did. Arrest Development was an Emmy play. Uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was obviously an Emmy play, and Arrest Development did nada and unbreakable did well enough to get a comedy series nod and one more but it's still declining horribly so they've just stemmed that tide for one more year um and i I just feel like netflix has built its brand on giving you a ton of content all at once Mm -hmm. and if you do have those established properties that you're excited to see you should you should trust that you should be able to say no i'm getting it all at once here it is if they're going to give me half that seems like a cheat and that seems like something where they're doing it for reasons that aren't designed for the best uh, best reception for the show, and that means the best viewing experience for the audience. So, yeah, I was really not a fan of those. Did you watch uh, Finish Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, what they gave us? Uh, I got through five of the six. Okay. I had one left. All right. And, I, and the download thing broke. I, didn't, uh-huh. I, was, I was trying to watch it on a plane, and it didn't work out. Uh, yeah, I would... Even just off mic, have a conversation with you once you see episode six about this topic, because um, I feel like there's a very specific reason why they gave us, they they ended it with six instead of episode seven. Well, I don't care where they, I mean, I feel like it was the same with Rest Development. There's a stopping point in that, in that season, but it is not the end of a season and that you can feel that and and that's really problematic for me when you're watching a Netflix show. It's really problematic for me in general. I don't I wouldn't want I wouldn't like it, it the, you know the general idea that this would relate back to is how broadcast, you know, splits its seasons where it has that long winter break. Mm-hmm. I hate that was always a, a hang up for me too. It's like that's too long. Like I, I understand it's you can especially nowadays they're gearing toward like mid-season finales and trying to turn that into a thing, but I don't think that's healthy for storytelling. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody really wants to hear half a story and just sit with that for a while and then come back into it. Like you you need to give people time to process the story as you're telling it, but you don't need to just kind of let it lie for, you know, <laughs> for like 6 months. Oh god. Cuz then it's like a whole another like period of time where you're just trying to remember what happened last. But it does give you time to catch up like in theory, like I can do something like watch into the bad, finish watching into the Badlands before it comes back, with you know all the time. Well, no, but that's the thing. Like that's that's almost like um, that's almost like what people do now, when instead of watching weekly, they're just like, well, I don't want to have to stop and wait a week to watch to see the next episode. I'm just gonna wa- wait until it's all out and binge it. Right. And but it's easier to binge it in like eight episode chunks versus sixteen episode chunks. I know I'm just hurting you with this conversation. But but... See, it's just making it worse, though. Like, you're making the storytelling experience worse, and you're not appreciating the thing that's in front of you. Like, I, I don't... We're turning into old man Ben again by, by saying this, but I really... Like, if the story is actually designed to be eight episodes, and then, you know, they'll tell a whole new story, or they'll tell the next chapter of the story a year from now, fine. But if it's if it's not designed that way, don't release it that way. Well, do you feel like like AMC is aware of the fact that they, you know, the showrunners have been doing, it's been happening for so long now that they have to be constructing it with those mid-season finales in mind. 
And certainly, I feel like I, I watched like a mid-season finale of say The Walking Dead, and I feel like this is they're not like leaving us on a giant cliffhanger. Um, there's usually kind of a sum up to the action. It's not even a, but it's not even about the cliffhanger. It's about the summary, like you're saying. It's about it's about telling the whole story. And I've never really seen a mid-season finale where I feel like, wow, they built this. It's not that they're building toward a, a, a climactic, you know, ending or a, or a hanging off point. It's that I know there's this isn't the whole thing. Like I know you have um, the rest of the season to finish this bigger arc. So I've seen half the arc. Mm-hmm. We've reached one of the the high points, but that's not how you tell a story. You don't. You just don't get to a high point and leave it off. Like that's I. It, I don't think that enhances anything for anybody. So mm. I, I mean I'm. I'm there's always exceptions to the rule, but especially with something like Arrest Development and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, it just felt like they were doing it for these very obvious ulterior motives, and I'd rather them do it for the best thing to serve the story. And that's what we were talking about all along to begin with. The best thing for Unreal could have been them releasing it on Hulu so people could binge it mm-hmm. you know, against all of my <laughs> personal beliefs. But... If, if that was, you know, how the, the best way to tell that story, especially a little shorter version of it is, then so be it. Um, whereas, you know, releasing half of that and then waiting six months for the other half just seems antithetical to how they wrote it. Yeah, fair enough. Then I feel like you're, you're, we're kind of talked out on this issue, which means I really just need to ask you, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, it remains Sharp Objects, but I'm going to take this this little moment in time to just say the best thing that I've seen this week was um, not a ton but enough to kind of gain my attention of kind responses to the David Schwimmer piece uh, that I wrote and we talked about before. I've received a lot of messages uh, mainly saying how great David Schwimmer is as an actor and um, (laughs) that piece took off just thanking you know saying thanks for putting this out there so people could kind of have a defense for him or, right. or have something to point to and say, no, 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 like this is something real. And that was just very nice. So anyway, thanks for everybody who, who reached out and read it. Thanks for everybody who read it. Um, I don't know how many people listen to the podcast that accompanied it. But well, we kind of do. Well, we, we have some idea. We have some idea. But yes. So that was nice. Yes. I'm glad you got all the nice messages. And I was well, just was like nice. the one ma- making fun of you for, on the podcast. People love friends, Liz. I, oh, I'm aware. It's the best sitcom ever made. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, that's uh, completely unhelpful to everybody in terms of what they want to watch this week. Well, so, Liz. You could be thanking our lovely listeners for, who did both read the piece and listen to the podcast. I mean, they could just also go watch Friends because that's a great use of your time <laughs> anytime. But, uh, Liz, in terms of something other than Friends, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, good question, Benjamin. Um, and I even wrote down the answer. Uh, I I don't think we're under embargo for this, but I uh, did end up watching the first episode of NBC's upcoming reality show, Making It, um, which is hosted by Amy Poehler and uh, Nick Offerman. And I'm not going to lie to you guys and say that it is high-octane action, uh, it is very much in the British, Great British Breaking Show model of television, where it's like very chill. Everyone involved is very nice. No one is backstabbing or anything. People are helping each other out. On Baking Show, it's about baking. Um, 
and all the stresses that come with that as people compete to make the best food. Uh, making it is about crafting, which is a little more esoteric a concept. It's more tactile and visual, though, so there is that nice element to it. Um, and uh, it, But it is a show about people making pretty things and then being judged on them. Um, and the two big factors in it that I really enjoyed are Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler are very good as hosts. They are very much... They are very much like taking like a kind of self-referential spin on it. Like they're not playing into, like they're not doing with like Heidi Klum does like as natural as breathing, where she just like is you know, you know very comfortable, very comfortable in front of the camera reciting the lines that she's given. They're much more loose and improvisational. Um, at one point, like at, in the first episode, um, I don't believe this is a spoiler, but. Uh, like they're revving up for the first challenge and Amy Poehler's like, make it, or something like that. Um, and that's her, and she's like, it took us weeks to come up with that catchphrase. <laughs> um, like they're they're playing with the format a lot. Um, and there's also just a lot of Nick and Amy riffing off each other and having a really good time. And and the contestants seem nice and everyone, and some people make some really pretty things. So. Um, it's rare, I know, on this show for us to recommend a reality show. Um, rare on this podcast, I mean. Uh, but I do think that there will be an audience for this one, and it'll be a very specific audience that gets really into like the particulars of woodworking and paper craft and all that. But you know, you might learn some stuff. You might get inspired to make your own crap. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so that was my best thing. Then, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, the next thing I'm looking forward to, I might have said this last week. I don't know. Don't care. It's casual. <laughs> I think you did say it last week. I'm going to just keep beating the drum for casual. Uh, to your grave. To my grave. I I wish this had been one of the one of the big Hulu hits um, instead of one of it, like its first half hour offering uh, that, that kind of, it, it just felt like it got ignored more, it more than it should. had a better should. title. Maybe, but the the show's just so good, you guys, and everybody in it is quite, quite perfect. Yeah, just they seem very nice. They really dig into their roles in every corner of them, which is required in a show that can, you know, spiral from from very funny kind of um, bottle episodes to very dark bottle episodes. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, but no, I, I love Casual. It's the final season's getting ready to come out. I haven't been able to watch it yet. I'm I'm getting ready to hopefully at the end of the Comic Con experience. So, um, so as you listen to it. this, Ben may have broken the seal and here's open. I, I mean, I'll be sad to see it go, but it's it's been it's been a treat for the last four years to cover it. So once more, onto the onto the breach. That's it. I think that's it. I think you're right. Yeah, I can um, be right. But yeah, so again, <laughs> casual. Liz, what is the next thing you're looking forward to? I mean, I will definitely have seen this by the time you all listen to this, uh, but I am very excited to finally break the seal on Better Call Saul Season 4. Um, we know a lot more about it than I was expecting us to, frankly, at this point. Like, they've been very clear on a couple of key plot cho- choices uh, from co- going into Season 4 from Season 3. Um, and I'm, but yeah, I feel like, you know, that, that is a show that I love doing deep dives on. 
in terms of review in terms in terms of episode reviews and characters and talking to the people involved in making the show even if it's just something like uh how did they build the blockbuster from season uh, from the season three finale um so yeah i I'm, I'm very i'm very excited about that um, yeah. I, I feel I feel confident that that show will just never. Is, I don't think it's possible for them to make a bad version of that show, at, it, which is the weirdest thing about a show that is so very particular and specific in all of its details. It's definitely possible for them to make a sad version of the show, though. Oh God! I mean, it is Ben. It is already one of the saddest shows on TV. It's too sad for me. Then I'm so worried about uh, Kim, uh, Kim and Jimmy. I'm so worried about them. Get we ready for me to say happens. this. I'm gonna what? <laughs> we know what happens. No, she they 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 won't say. We know. She could be she could be living next door in Omaha. Like everything could be fine then. Everything could be just fine. Yeah, when when was that meetup arranged? I don't know. Between in the, the end, future. Between the end of Breaking Bad the end and of the start of it. It's true, he had some time. He seems happy, so obviously she's probably there. Yeah. And I'm very worried about Kim and Jimmy. I, it would be the best twist of all time if, like, they, they were just fine. They were great, and and he's only bummed out because he had a bad day at work. Like, he yeah. just had one bad day, but everything else is great. Yeah. She was just at her sister's or something the day we saw him at Home Alone. Yeah. See, now you're thinking. Uh, yeah, I I have such reason to have optimism in, in a show that is just uh, you know gleefully joyous at every turn. Then just get ready for me to say I'm very worried about Kim and Jimmy for the next like two three months i'll be here to remind you that the, the worst case scenario <laughs> is also the most likely one yep yep yeah that is true um but you'll be able to read all about that and more on indiewire.com where you'll also find news reviews interviews features all the stuff you like and make sure to listen to all of the indiewire podcasts including the newly reformatted turn it on podcast with our own michael schneider People uh, are talking about their favorite TV. People are going to talk about their favorite TV episodes, right? Yeah, I think it's a, people talk just in general about, like, what's your favorite TV episode of all time? Yeah, I think it's at least, I think it's all time, and then they might go, if, like, if they're hawking a show, they might go to that one, too. But anyway, yeah, um, that's a one of many options, including Screen Talk with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn. Yep. Um, the one that started it all. Uh, and then, you know, I mean... What can you say about Chris O'Fault at this point? I think I've run out. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll get re-inspired loop back. by Comic Con, right? Um, but right now, I'm just so overwhelmed that I, I can only wish to have the resiliency, um, the, the, the fortitude, the, the undying spirit of one Chris O'Fault um, and his filmmaker toolkit podcast. I mean, it's, it's helped Oscar winners uh, win yeah. Oscars. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah, sure. I'm sure you could draw a line between one of his podcasts and somebody winning an Oscar. I could draw so many lines, Liz. You can, you can just get a big frown, just go to town. Yeah. <laughs> Colored lines. So uh, we will Colored be back lines. next week. Uh, who knows when we'll be recording because uh, right after TC, right after Comic-Con comes everyone's favorite event that to listen to people podcast about. Mission Impossible 6. Yes, that. That is that is definitely going to be what our next podcast is about. Might be. I could I could do a I could do a couple of uh, forty five minutes on Mission Impossible Six. Why Mission Impossible Six is the one movie that's better than television. <laughs> it would not be the first time we've talked about Tom Cruise on this podcast. Oh, God, just proving our point. Yeah, Shouldn't come to TV. 
Yeah, that was that was in fact the subject of that Maybe podcast. He should though. Then you could talk to him. Imagine Tom. Imagine, imagine Tom at TCA's. Imagine. I'd be so conflicted. Yeah. I'd have to ask him questions. He wouldn't allow me to ask. So this is a real moral crossroads for you. But well, it, no, I, I understand where I'm at. It would just be difficult. Right. I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be two weeks of uh, really interesting panels, uh, us getting to talk to people, making really interesting shows. Oh, Mission Impossible out for far longer than two weeks. It's poised to be a hit. Could be out for like two, three months. Then you can only go see Mission Impossible Six so many times during TCAs. I call the limit at three. During what? TCAs. I don't care about that. Mission Impossible is <laughs> coming out. A new Mission Impossible that IndieWire's David Ehrlich says is one of the best action films ever made. Good night. David Ehrlich gave The Greatest Showman a B minus, and it was a rave review. He gave Mission Impossible 6 an A. Just a flat out A? A flat out A. Wow. Good night. Liz, I don't, I can't even deal with you right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was fun. I had a good time. I'm going to see it so many times. I know. Um,. Wait, um, sorry about that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, about what? Oh, you're sorry about trying to bring me down from my Mission Impossible high. That is true. That is high, what, a high as high as the Dubai <laughs> Tower. I actually just rewatched uh, Ghost, Ghost Protocol. It's great. Second best Mission Impossible. Hmm. Liz, we agreed on this like a week ago. Three, right? Yes. Okay, good. I was just double checking because sometimes sometimes Liz, people say other things. We talked about this. Well, also now recently. I'm very worried about how you're going to feel about Fallout because I do not put it above three. Well, I don't. I mean, I don't expect it to be above three. I, okay. I mean, it sounds like Ehrlich put it up there, but I, I you know, he's he goes off and he's a little crazy sometimes. But I'm sure it'll be great. So I'm excited. All right. That's what matters. Mission we'll Impossible. We'll have the discussion. We'll have the it's discussion. It's based on a TV show. It works. <laughs> it does work. And they also, I mean, I feel like we've, we've done this before, actually, talk about, like, kind of the idea of sequels as, you know, episodes of television. Um, Absolutely. They're, the most successful films are just copying television's, you know, bright, shining star. Like Marvel. Jesus Christ. No, not that. Okay. They keep, they keep fucking it up. Yeah, that's true. Well, to some degree. It'd be like if the, it'd be like if the leftovers just started with, yeah, they're all gone right now, but they'll be back in episode two. Don't worry. Wow, the drama. I bet that that heart wrenching pain that that Nora felt when she saw her kids missing that would really resonate if she was like, wow, I, I'll see them tomorrow though. Like today, they seem to have left the building. I don't know where they are, but they'll be back. They don't have se- they they have don't have sequels greenlit. <laughs> What if, it would have been really funny if at the very end, like, they'd been like, um, Nora's children will return, question mark. No, it just, it, it's, God, that was the worst movie. Um, let's wrap things up before we go down too far down this rabbit hole. Uh, but again, thank you guys for listening. Bear with us. Next couple weeks are going to be really intense. Got to have a, a lot of viewings of Mission Impossible to get through. Um, but... As always, you can follow Ben's Descent into Madness on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. You can follow Liz's calm, rational, and uh, significant television reporting on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Oh, you can't do any of those things there. Absolutely. Um, but again, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. I've already said that at least once. Whatever. And keep watching television.
Ba-da-da. 